0: Amen. Thank you, Oscar. Well, man, can't feel your heart more than child dedications. Those are so good. Uh, welcome to Current. It's good to see you. Uh, we're going to be continuing uh, the Sermon on the Mount today. Uh, very famous text, right? Turn the other cheek, uh, love your enemies. Um, not only in terms of this Sermon on the Mount, this, this most famous of all sermons that Jesus. Uh, Said, and we have preserved in the Bible one of the most famous texts and familiar texts in the Bible at large. I mean, I imagine even if you haven't really read the Bible all that much, that chances are you've heard turn the other cheek and love your enemies. Um, And actually, as we're also continuing this series that we've called uh, The Upside Down Kingdom, this unexpected news that Jesus came uh, living and teaching that was, was unexpected then and is unexpected now, to say that these teaching thoughts. Turn the other cheek and love your neighbors uh, is something that is unexpected. Uh, is something that is upside down is a gross understatement. I mean, that's just not the way we naturally live. To turn our cheek, to love our, our neighbors, uh, excuse me, to love our enemies, uh, it's just not our natural deal. If anything, we, we would actually want to do the opposite. So I don't have to do a lot of work in terms of making that case. Uh, wh- what we see here today is on, on the one hand, uh, Jesus' teaching here are, are, is, is very practical Like at a a face level, it's quite practical to think, okay, turn the other cheek, that makes sense, I understand what that means, I can do that, or I can understand that. And then to love an enemy, same thing, very practical in one sense, but in another sense, it's about as impractical as it gets. Because when you think about what Jesus is really saying, what he's meaning when he says that, I don't know about you, but you, you could be really quick to say, Jesus, that's just too lofty. Like that's just too idealistic. There's just no way. And yet, Jesus' point here, as he teaches these things, is this is the only way. We might choose, we might, our knee-jerk response might be, I, I don't know if I can, you know, you know this is just too lofty, I, I, this, there's just, this is not possible. Jesus says, this is the only way. So, what is he saying in these famous teachings, and how do we live it out? Um, I think today is as good as any to, uh, to, to, to kind of look at the Sermon Mount in its greater biblical context, okay? So Jesus here is not teaching. He's not giving the sermon in a vacuum, of course. It's based on kind of this biblical arc of where it fits into what's been happening. So if you kind of think of it this way, and we'll go, we'll go through this quickly. The biblical arc can be basically said in, in, in four ways. One, you, it starts out with loving creation. God creates uh, mankind and and uh, in and in, in, in has a loving relationship with us. And then by page two or three in your Bible, depending on the font size, uh, you have what the theologians call the fall. Uh, we'll call that a sinful rebellion. Uh, that's where we say, you know what? Thank you, God, for for making us. We you know we appreciate all these things. We're going to do it our way. Uh, I'm just gonna I'm going to do things my way. Um, and so rebellion comes into the world. Sin, as the Bible calls it, comes into the world. Chaos, not just in terms of uh, physical, but, but relational, social, spiritual. Decay starts to come in with our selfishness, with our greed, with all these different things. And then after that, we see that the, the perhaps one of the most miraculous things of all, God doesn't say, you know what, forget you guys. You know, I'm done with you guys. He instead starts moving towards His work of gracious redemption which is leading up and, and is, a, and, and is uh, brought home with Jesus' life, and death, and resurrection. So, so much of the Bible is what God is leading up to in his gracious redemption towards Jesus. So, last week, for instance, we were looking at the law. You know, In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, You have heard it said, do not murder. So, he's talking about the law. So much of what the law is, is to help us realize who we were meant to be all along. The loving people, the loving intent that God originally had for us likewise likewise a part of that law we understand just how far far we fall short of it so we understand what we were supposed to be but we also realize the law just shows us there's just man this is how far we missed the mark and yet those two things as helpful as they are with the law they actually have a greater point and that is pointing us to what Jesus has done for us god's love for us God takes sin very seriously. We talked about that last week. But his love is all the greater. And that's what Jesus has done. That's what the gracious, redemptive work is on the cross. Jesus, on the cross, died for the sins of the world. And in him, we have life in his name. That's why he said, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. So what we have, what we're seeing is is creation, fall, redemption, and then finally, we've come now to restoration. Restoration and renewal. Um, God, in, in having done what he did for us on the, through Christ's work on the cross, he brings humankind back into the relationship that he intended all along. He meets us where we are. He, you know, we, we get to feel and develop and grow out of that loving relationship. And alongside that, he then calls us to the co-work alongside him to move creation, move everything Towards it back towards its original intent, to restore things, to bring renewal, life. Um, and the full expression of it is, is, is in the future when Jesus returns. But the point is, there's a process of it now. There's a process ha- ha- happening right now. That's why, for instance, two weeks ago, we looked at how Jesus said, You are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. Christians aren't just to say, hey, Jesus forgives us, free pass. You know, cruise control. We're to say, because he's done this, we now get to join with God in the work of making things new, renewing all things, restoring all things, bringing the light and life that he always intended. That's what's behind what Jesus is saying here, in other words. He's talking about the restoration process and the renewal process that he calls us into, even in the face of sin still being out there, even in the sin of our our brokenness um, uh, being what it is. He's saying, turn the other cheek. Love your enemies. That's talking about bringing restoration and renewal. And what might be our knee-jerk reaction again would be something like, that's just not possible. Jesus is saying this is the only way to do it. Years ago, I read this book uh, called The Pedagogy of the Oppressed, which is just such a mouthful. Uh, but he, it's all about this. The, the author Ray Bakke, um looked at cultures uh, down down uh, the timeline of history, and he said basically all societies are uh, are made up of power dynamics and, and power structures. Okay, and he said if you want to really kind of break it down, you have the people who are in power in a given society. We'll call those the oppressors. In, in his case, he said, and then you have people who are who are uh, without power or, or very limited power, and you can call those the oppressed. And he's saying, you know, basically the oppressors, they always, they're always, they going to have their prejudices and they're all going to do things that are just, you know, these guys feel the, the force of that. Um, some like of the more egregious examples throughout history are, for, for example, Nazism and all that sort of thing. But it exists, he says, in, in all cultures, and you, you don't have to do a lot of work to understand that that works in our culture, in more subtle ways, in some not so subtle ways. But you have these two dynamics. And what he says is when you look throughout history and you understand, uh, and you look at all the times when those without power, let's say the oppressed. Uh, uh, rise up, and they choose to, you know, uh, usurp the power of, of of the oppressors. He said, "What always happens in those instances, in some form or fashion, is they basically just change the deal, and just flip this, the 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 paradigm. That you know, the the oppressors are now they essentially become the oppressors. And maybe these groups and these prejudices are different, but basically, what you see throughout humankind is it it just." The, the cycle continues, it's just different folks. Are you, are you following me here? That, that's what he was saying. And, and what he said is, he, he, he asked the question, he says, well, what, what can break that cycle? Like, what, what breaks that cycle? And then he made this profound thought. He's like, only the power of what Jesus did on the cross can break that cycle. Well, How can that be? Think about it. When Jesus came into the world, he had, if, if he was truly the son of God, he had every right to come to us and say, you know what, bow your heads and bend your knees. Just just get in line. He had every right. And when you think about structures and society and and, and how power dynamics work, you know, uh, none of these are ultimately justified in in, in in that sort of lead. But if if you look at Jesus for who he is. Perfect justification to say, hey, bow your head, bend the knee. But what Jesus came in in doing, the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus, is instead of asking us to bend the knee and bow our head, he bowed his head, he bent his knee, and went to the cross. And he achieved victory through seemingly defeat and brought life through giving his life. And the point the author is making is saying, that is the only way that can break the, break the cycle. Because if you think about it, if, if all you're trying to do is just kind of upend the, upend the system and say, okay, if, if, if all you're trying to do is, is defeat evil by bringing in another little version of it, even if it's a little bit more justified because this reason or that, he's saying that doesn't break the cycle, that just continues it. Only Jesus breaks that cycle by saying, I'm going to love sacrificially. And that's how we bring renewal. That's the only way. Listen, uh, listen to how uh, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer puts it. Uh, this is a pastor, a guy who was martyred um, for uh, saving Jews out of Nazi, Nazi Germany. Uh, he, so he has some credibility here. Here's what he says. The only way to overcome evil is to let it run itself to a standstill because it does not find the resistance it is looking for. Resistance merely creates further evil and adds fuel to the flames. But when evil meets no opposition and encounters no obstacle, but only patient endurance, its sting is drawn, and at last it meets an opponent which is more than its match. Of course, this can can only happen when the last ounce of resistance is abandoned and the renunciation of revenge is complete. Then evil cannot find its mark. It can breed no further evil and is left barren. Or let's take somebody else who has you know more than just a little bit of credibility in this area, the, the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, this won't be on the, on the board, but you've, you've probably heard this quote. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. What Jesus is saying is, what we, hear, we have here with Jesus' teaching... Is, is, is so powerful. He's not just saying, hey, here are some nice things to aspire to. Here are some nice ideals. Jesus is saying, look, this is the only way. This is the only way. This is how restoration and renewal comes back into the world. Light enters darkness. Love in the face of hate. And what he's saying is, because I have turned the other cheek, because I have loved my enemies, you can't. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll unpack this a little bit more as we go through. Let's look at these kind of two thoughts that Jesus kind of gets into. He expands on each thought uh, in the verses surrounding them. But basically two thoughts. Number one, he says in verses 30, 38 and 39, we need to turn the other cheek. Uh, here's, here's how he says it. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Uh, now, this is one we tend to misunderstand, is it not? When, when he says, when someone slaps you in the cheek, turn to him the other, I think a lot of us will probably think, oh, what Jesus is saying here, what his teaching is you should never stop injustice. Um, that no matter what somebody does to you, you should let them walk all over you. But that's just not what Jesus is saying. You know, it was, it was amazing to me. It hit me uh, in, in my time of study. I was like, oh, my goodness, we have the best of all case studies in terms of what Jesus is saying here. Did you, did you know Jesus himself was slapped? Like we have a recorded account. When he was, uh, the night he was arrested, and he was put on false trial, uh, you know, everything was just, you know, it was all happening at night, all, actually the early, mornings, uh, early uh, hours of the morning. It was just all just super sketchy. And at some point, some dude slaps Jesus. What did Jesus do? Did he, hey, you got that one. Okay, here you go. All right. He didn't do that. What he did in that moment was he lodged a protest. He said, what wrong have I said? If I have said wrong, okay. But if I have spoken truth, then why did you slap me? Why did you strike me? Uh, the Christian is to resist evil. We are, we are to uh, fight injustices. Um, so then... What is he talking about here when he says, turn the other cheek? You know, when he says, you have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. Jesus is referring to actually something that was in the Old Testament, something... um, uh, over a 1,000 years before Jesus' time, uh, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, that was a, a provision, a law given to the judges in ancient Israel. It was a rule of th- uh, of, of law for them uh, when lawsuits were brought brought before them. And we are told that Israel was, was the most merciful of nations in that ancient day because they limited personal vengeance. I, I was reading um, uh, someone writing on this, and it makes total sense. They're like, you know, back in the day, You know, these ancient, I mean, we're talking over a thousand years before Christ. Back in the ancient world, if someone killed your cow, you didn't come back to them and say, I'm going to get your cow. You came back, you said, I'm going to get your barn. I'm coming after your barn. And if somebody poked one of your eyes out, what'd you do? You wanted to poke both of their eyes out. And if they plucked out your, you know, they knocked out one of your teeth, you're taking out their, their jaw. Jesus is saying, uh, you know, that, that law was, was there to, prever- to, to prevent uh, personal vengeance as, as ruling the, the law in society. Instead, they administer justice in an orderly way. But what Jesus is saying here, he's saying as great as, it, as that was and as important as that is for building a society on that, he said that's not the law for your relationships. Uh, and actually, if you look at all the verses kind of uh, after this verse and, and, and kind of surrounding it, um, these are all personal relationship dynamics. Jesus is talking about when somebody in, in, in personally offends you uh, in fact, when he when he gets down he says uh, you 've heard it say love, love your enemies." That word he uses in, in, in the Greek is actually a word specifically saying a personal enemy so he 's talking about personal relationships but when so when he says, "You are slapped on the cheek, turn the other cheek, what is he saying? What well, we need to realize he 's not talking about somebody who wants to beat you up. And if you want to beat somebody up, you, you ball up your fist and you, and you go at him that way. You don't slap. What he's talking about, of course, then, is personal insult. When somebody insults you, Jesus is saying, there must be no concern on your part to save face. There must be no concern to deal with your honor and your dignity. Um, this week as I was studying all this, and I was thinking about, you know, how often does this happen? Sure, you know, if you have a relationship at at work that is just kind of off, like I can see that happening a lot, like how often does this happen? And sure enough, Wednesday night, I was going to pick up my daughter from uh, daycare, and I think it was raining, and it was just kind of mayhem in, in the lobby area where you have to sign out your kid before taking them away um, for good reason. Um, so I was there signing out my k- the thing, and there's a couple of folks around, and in came a dude. I won't go into all the details of it, but he just came up and just without care, just like physically like knocked me back in, in actually quite an embarrassing way. Like I, I stammered away, and you know, all these people were there, and, and that sort of thing, and uh, man, what was my first response? who does this guy think he is? I mean, like, how dare he do that? I mean, that's just kind of, you know, and then my next thought is, I'm bigger than this dude. <laughs> I'm using you guys as a confessional here. I was like, I'm bigger than this dude. If I just move my shoulder, just like, you know, he'll, he'll get the deal. He'll get the message. And then it hit me like a ton of bricks. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Okay, Lord, I, I, I get it. Like, how easy is it for us? How easy is it for us to feel Insulted. Okay, I'll say for me. Maybe you're not like me. It's just so easy just to kind of, in that moment. That's what we do, isn't it? We say, oh my goodness, who is this person? Don't they know who I am? I'm going to sue them for all they're worth or whatever it might be. But Jesus is saying here, in me, you don't have to have an attitude of self like that. You don't need to worry about that. Seek justice, yes, but forgive. Verse 40, and if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let them have your cloak as well. Uh, a pastor once quibbed. That doesn't mean if someone's like stealing your pocket out of your, your wallet out of this pocket, you go, hey, I got an extra one today. You're just going come over. No, he's not say, It's actually similar to what he's, he, he's saying when he talks about turning the other cheek. Why turn the other cheek? Why give them your tunic? Why walk the second mile? It's to never close the door on a relationship. It's, it's to always say, I'm going to give you a chance to do it right. Um, that's the approach that Jesus wants us to take. Um, someone who understands and receives the gospel, understands the gracious act of redemption to its core, uh, will have a different response. It's upside down. Um, and I didn't know this until recently. I was, I was reading his uh, a biography on him. Uh, these very verses were actually the driving force behind Jackie Robinson's life. Turn the other cheek. Did, did you know that? I saw the movie Forty Two, and you know all that. Um, these verses were very central, explicitly for him, in terms of what he saw as God's calling in his life. Both he and the the owner of the Dodger, uh, the Brooklyn Dodgers, a guy named Branch Rickey, who kind of like found Robinson and said, Hey, we're going to do this. And um, Jackie Robinson, of course, is the guy who's accredited with, with breaking down the color barrier in Major League Baseball and doing so much more for our society. Um, they, in that initial meeting, when Branch Rickey uh, invited him into his office, um, uh, Jackie Robinson thought it was for another reason, but they had to do, he had to do it like all on the, on, the, on the sly because people would have caught wind of it. And so anyways, Branch Rickey, uh, Jackie Robinson comes in on that day. And it's, it's funny, actually, a small detail here. There's a person in there who, who saw this and recorded it. But Branch Rickey, like Jackie Robinson comes in, they introduce each other, and then Branch Rickey just stares at Jackie Robinson for a long time, just like taking in the historic moment of, of that. But in that conversation, when Branch Rickey, these two guys who just love the Lord, the Lord being central to their life, you could just, that, that much is clear from, from what we know of them. Then having a conversation of saying, okay, I think, I think God's calling us to this. And then talking very specifically about these verses saying, it's going to mean turning the other cheek. And, of course, you know Jackie Robinson's life. He had to endure so much racial slurs, death threats, like not only on himself but on his family. It was interesting, too, in that biography, they made They made the the real strong point that in the beginning of his life, Jackie Robinson would have none of that growing up. Like even if somebody in, in a, an authority and position, if they kind of abused that power, Jackie Robinson would be on them. Even if it meant he got, like, you know, put in jail even at one point. But in this calling, he realized, oh, my goodness, this is what God's calling me to to turn the other cheek, um, never to retaliate, never to say, you know what, my honor. He, he, Jackie Robinson saw this is bigger than me. It's not about me. Uh, one pastor once put it this way, when, and again, coming back to personal relationships here, he said, he said, the answer to the question, what does it mean to turn your other cheek, means not to worry about an insult and to always say, listen, you slap me on this cheek, but anytime you want to come back and kiss this one. I'm ready. Anytime you want to get the relationship back on the right level and on the right footing, I'm ready. Um, is there anyone in your life right now, in the workplace, in your neighborhood, is there anybody in your life right now that it's just, boy, that's just an ongoing thing for you? Um, or maybe it's just more the off, you know, maybe it's when you go pick up your kids at take care. Um, Jesus says we are to win them over with love. It's like Paul says in Romans 12, do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Second thought, and we'll go through this more quickly because he's more just, in in my opinion, building on the first. I love your enemies. He says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Here's what we learn as Jesus is building on what he said. He says, while turning the other cheek speaks to our passive endurance of evil, uh, Jesus goes further and bids us not only to bear with evil and the evil person patiently, not only to refrain from treating them as they treat us, but to actively love them. To actively engage in heartfelt love towards them. What we are to do, and these, these all show up in the text, um, not all the translations quite get this, including the one that I have up on the board, but more specifically, we are to actively love, to bless, to do good, and to pray for our enemies, Jesus says to love, to bless, to do good, to pray for our enemies. Any of you guys following just that really heavy trial? I uh, just concluded of, of Larry Nacer. I don't know if I'm saying his name right. But the doctor com, uh, convicted of child abuse, child molestation. He was the doctor serving on Team USA for the gals' gymnastic. You guys follow, did you guys follow that? Yeah, heavy, heavy. Just, just abusing countless gals. Oh, my goodness. Um, well there's one of these gals former former gymnast a, a gal named uh, Rachel uh, Dunhollander. I'm not sure exactly how to pronounce her name um, former gymnast herself uh, she took the opportunity when like kind of the closing statements I don't know exactly how this works but before you know the you know she had time in court to kind of address her 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 former abuser she took the opportunity to love on the guy like a lot of these gals they talk to her and man she, she. if you read the transcript or if you have, if you're braver than I am, you watch the video trans. you know, uh, she chose to, to love this dude. First of all, she chose to be there and to talk to this guy, but because of her rela- relationship with God, clearly, she just gives such a powerful testimony to God's justice on the one hand and grace on the other. Now, to be absolutely clear, she in no way excuses what he did, like, Boy, you read that transcript, she does not mince words. If anything, she kind of like, Yeah, she, she, just go, she says, hey, you're absolutely deserving of all this. She, she calls it pure evil and all that sort of stuff. Um, and yet, one of the big points she wants to ha- say there is, but you know what? God loves you, and he extends his forgiveness even to you. I forgive you, but that's not so much the point. God actually extends his forgiveness even to you. And I'm just like, what a powerful, powerful woman! What a powerful testimony! I mean, that's by the way, balancing what we talked about last week. We got to take God takes sin very seriously. In fact, when He talks about that sort of thing, He says it'd be better for a you know a millstone to be tied around this a person who abuses little mistreats little kids and thrown into the sea, than for them to stand before you know that he, he has. She was saying, hey, this is very serious, but she's saying, but but we also know that God's love goes so deep that He forgives. Her. Uh, even used what she said. and That, that was her point. Uh, but she was being there, and at the end of the day, pointing this guy to Jesus. And I'm just like, what an amazing, amazing thought. Now here's, as we think about this, to come back to where we started, we might be thinking, oh my goodness, that's nice you could do that, David. That's, these are nice ideals. Wonderful. I'm still not sure I can do this. Like, my goodness. Like, are you, no, I, I'm not. But again, Jesus said, yeah, you can. Here's the reasoning he gives. I love it. Just this little verse here. Matthew, back in our, our verse 45, 44 and 45, he says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute. Here's his reasoning. That you may be children of your Father in heaven. Like, what's he saying there? When it, when it becomes impractical to love our enemy, when it feels impossible, it feels like there's just no way, he's saying, remember, that's what I've done for you. Um, there'll be some verses on the screen uh, here. Uh, that talk about you know, the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is articulated in the Bible as he loved us when we were yet his enemies. When it becomes hard to love our enemies, we say, wait a minute, I was an enemy too. I did wrongs, and if I decide I'm going to hold this grudge against this person, um, how in the world am I going to expect God to forgive me? If I won't forgive this person, there are two sins against me, how can I expect God to forgive me of the two billion sins that I have against him? Jesus said at the very beginning of His whole Sermon on the Mount, he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Because of God's incredible act of gracious redemption for us on the cross, He enables, He empowers, now calls us into His work of restoration and renewal. Loving our neighbors, loving those we get along with, uh, that's something Jesus talks about elsewhere, but here it's it's like as if He takes that for granted. It's like, well, of course. Um, But when we will truly be salt of the earth and light of the world is when we live, we live in this way. Uh, verse 47, I think, is actually the verse that really pulls everything together, even though it seems like a kind of a blip of a, of a verse. He says, what are you doing more than others? Uh, that word more, in case, in case you're curious, is actually, is actually uh, a very kind of vanilla way of it, uh, translating into the English. That word is, is the word for extraordinary. Jesus is saying, how are you living based on what I've done for you? in an extraordinary way because of it. Like, if you truly understand what I've done for you, that I've died for you when you were an enemy, that I turned the cheek, that I loved you when you were an enemy, then it, you won't be able to help but live an extraordinary life. I think of Rachel Don Hollander. I think of Jackie Robinson. I think of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Um, who else have we mentioned? I, I think of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. I mean, when we think of those examples in those lives, you can't help but think, oh, my goodness, that is extraordinary. I mean, that is otherworldly. That is upside down. That is unexpected. Why? Because it's love when it's not deserved. And that is what we are called to. And when we understand understand this, we won't be able to help but live extraordinary lives. Um, Why? Because at the end of the day, all of this, blessed are the poor in spirit, all of this helps us realize that at the end of the day, it's not about us. When somebody insults us, boy, that's hard. But if we remember what Jesus has done for us, we remember that at the end of the day, it's not about us. It's not about that act of insult. It's it's about the one who came to deal with and pay the penalty for and forgive all such acts of insults. And so now we're left to say, you know what? My insult, my safe face aside, we can make this about what it really is, and that is him and his love. That's the calling. That's extraordinary. That's up. That's unexpected. That's upside down. It's joining God in the in the process of restoration and the renewal of all things. Now we're not all going to be Dietrich Bonhoeffers, so We're not all going to be uh, Rachel Donnell. You know we're all going to have that those sort of stages. But we do all experience mistreatment. We do all experience that sort of thing. How will you love in the face of that? How will you turn the other cheek? Let's pray. Father. First of all, we start by saying thank you. If there's anything we just want to stop and do and say, is say thank you because uh, you turned your cheek, literally. Boy, you were actually slapped on the way to the cross. But of course, even more powerfully, the cross is a, is a giant turning the cheek and, and a giant loving your enemies, which were us. We've put our faith in you, so we, we stop and we say thank you. And I want to pause here for, for a moment, too. If you're here today, and, and you, you're, you're not a follower of Jesus, but you'd like to put your faith in today and receive the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that is, he lived the life that you or I couldn't live and died the death that we deserve, and that in his name, in, in putting our faith in him, we receive the forgiveness of sins and life in his name. A restored relationship with God. If you'd like to receive that today, I'd like to give you the opportunity. You can raise your hand by indicating that you'd like to put your faith in him. It's not the act of raising your hand that brings salvation. It's more in our heart, but I'll see it, and I'll pray for you. Um, Just give you a moment if you'd like to raise your hand. Yes, see that hand. Any others? Not so much that I see it, but God sees it, and I'll, I'll pray for you. Father, we pray uh, for our brother here today who, who raised his hand. Would you give him life in your name? As he receives you, would you receive him? And Lord, alongside our, our brother, we just say thank you again that, you've, that this is what this is all about. It's what you've done for us. Nothing we could do on our own, including, for instance, living the life you've called us to in terms of turning the cheek and, and, and loving our enemies. Father, we confess that's really hard. But thank you that, number one, you forgive us when we we don't get that quite right. And number two, you empower and you, 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 you lift us up to have that extraordinary impact around us as our calling. Help us in that. As a church, as individuals, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.